Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. A couple things unique to this morning. Be very careful about what you say about Daryl because then he shows up. So... He reminded me this morning he gets the last word, so this could be really interesting. Um, and, uh, and then also this morning, I get my family here. So we're all feeling better, which is great. Uh, we're more like back dwellers at church, so hopefully you're not too offended. Uh, when we go to church, we, we typically sit in the back, and uh, especially with the littles, right? Because you got to get up and leave and all the time. But, uh, so we got Caden over there. Went away, bud. And there's Oliver right next to him. And then Carson. Hey, Carzy. And then my wife, Lolly. Her real name is Alana, but her nickname is Lolly. So one wife, two names. Um, so this is, yeah, that was my favorite people. So, um, all right, let's get into this this morning. As we can see here, right, keep praying. God isn't annoyed. I love this. Here's why I love this because in a room this size, it's without a doubt. Some of you have begun praying about something in your life, and you gave up. You stopped. You began praying about something, and over a period of time, for whatever reason, you began to pray it less frequently, and then before you knew it, you were praying it no more. And so this is a rhetorical question, okay? Why? Why did you stop praying As I've thought about this, there's two things that come to mind, I think, that are common to us all. On the one hand, we attempt to be polite Christians. Attempt. I think a lot of people have given up on praying for something or about something because they have perceived that it is not the Christianly thing to do, to keep praying over and over and over about something when God seemingly hasn't answered This prayer. And so we take the hint from God and we then begin to pray less about it. And then we learn our manners and then we we stop. And we just come to terms with that. I think another reason why we quit praying is because we think that we're annoying God, uh, that we're bothering God by persistently and consistently praying for this one thing over and over again. I mean, as Christians, we're okay with praying for a lot of different things. This seems reasonable. But as Christians praying over and over for one thing, this gets a little tricky. And so it could be because of etiquette. It could be because we just don't want to annoy or bother God. But my hope is is that the Gospel of Luke is going to show us um, that that those those aren't good enough reasons. So with that, will you pray with me? Uh, God, I love you. We love you, and we thank you for today. Thanks for letting us be a part of it. We give you this time that we're together as a church, as a body, and we're trying our best to love you and to love those around us, and in particular, these things, these, these topics, these concerns, these people, these circumstances that we've once prayed for but no longer do, uh, I, just, I just ask that you would just do something within our hearts, Holy Spirit, that you illumine your teachings here in the Gospel of Luke so that we might better understand what it is, Jesus, that you ask of us and that you've taught us how to pray. 
And so we just ask, ask for help. Help me so that I might be helpful to these brothers and sisters in Christ so that in turn we all might go be helpful to those that you've called us to love. Amen. So here's one of the things that is distinct to our faith. Uh, we are a, a, a resurrection people. We are a people that is grounded and rooted in a belief in which Jesus rose from the dead. What does this have to do with prayer? We're going to kind of fast forward in my life, and then we're going to kind of go back to the beginning, to kind of a, a, an important moment in my life. Um, so I'm 40. When I was in my early 30s, uh, my, my folks, they got a divorce. And, um, and I don't care what age you are, it, it hurts. It's, it's, it's sad, right? And so there's a lot of process. There's a lot of prayer that goes into these moments. And, and so I'm going to go to the beginning of this. Actually, no, I just lied. I'm going to go to the end of this, right, to kind of give you a, a window into this, this one scene. And then at the very end, we'll kind of go to the beginning. And I want to show you persistency in prayer as a result of that. So to the end. So this was after the fact, my folks were no longer married, and I was teaching, and one day I was teaching, and so what I believe about theology is that theology uh, comes alive as it intersects with life, and so when something like this happens in your life, it ends up coming out when you teach, right? It, it, it's, it's formative, it's transformative, and so I remember using this as an example uh, in teaching, and right when I was done, uh, this gal came up to me, and she says, hey, can I can I pray for your, your parents and their marriage? And I remember I, I looked at her and I was like, she wasn't listening. The marriage is over. And, but what you, you, this is what I'm thinking, right? You can't say these things. And so I'm, I'm thinking this and then she says, well, can I pray? And I said, sure. And, uh, and so she begins to pray for, for this relationship. And so I'm, I'm bowing my head and she's praying and I'm just looking at the ground. So I'm just like, I don't, what am I, what am I doing here right now? Like, how is this going, right? And so I'm just listening to her pray, and so she's praying, and it was beautiful. It was, this is the corruption of my own heart, right? See, you guys thought you liked me, and so now you're getting to know my heart, right? So then I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm looking at the ground, and I'm listening to her. And then this moment occurred, and, and she said, uh, and Lord, we pray that you would resurrect this dead marriage. And I remember I picked my head up, and I just looked at her. She was doing the proper thing. Her eyes were closed and she was actually praying, right? And so it's kind of like this out-of-body moment, right? So I picked my head up and I looked at her and I'm like, she's right. She's right. As believers, we cannot deny the resurrection. God is in the business of resurrecting dead things. And there's no greater example of this than Christ himself. It's at the core of the gospel with which we believe in and in which we are saved. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. This is one of the clearest examples where we get where somebody actually says, hey, this is the gospel with which you believe in and which you are saved. And so Paul says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What did he receive? He received the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance 
with the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom, Paul says, are still alive. Can you imagine those testimonies? Though some have fallen asleep. Just a nice biblical way of saying they died. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Here's where I'm going with this. Um, I don't know what you once prayed for and have since given up. Perhaps this morning can be a time in which we can resurrect a dead prayer. Because after all, we're in the business of resurrection. Now, what I'm not saying, though, is that just because you start praying again about that thing that you gave up on long ago, what that doesn't mean is that now it will be answered. Here's the thrust. Here's the thing. Humble people keep praying. And so in response to who God is, in light of who we are, we keep praying. So now, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Gospel of Luke. And there, we're going to spend time starting in verse 1 of chapter 11. Luke 11, 1 begins this way. It says, Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So this is what Jesus says. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. When we talked last week, we put forth a definition of humility, which was knowing who God is in light of who we are. And as a foundation this way, we said this was something worthy to pursue. This was a life well spent. What I want you to notice is that Jesus is positioning the one praying as he's teaching his disciples how to pray. He's positioning them to know who God is in light of who they are. And the way in which you begin said prayer is to say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And then Jesus says, give us each day our daily bread. This is our first example of repetitive prayer in the passages with which we will be looking at this morning. And in this case, it's bread. It's daily bread. Not weekly bread. Not monthly bread. Not a big reserve, and then when it runs out, we can pray for bread again. But this is a daily, repetitive asking of the Lord to provide. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. We have a few observations to make. Um, this is the Lord's Prayer, and it begins here in Luke 11, 1 through 4. Then what Jesus does next is he doesn't stop praying. He doesn't stop teaching them about prayer, better said. And in verse 5, he continues. But sometimes in our Bibles, if you'll notice, like if, when you're looking at it, there'll be like headings. Right? The Lord's Prayer, 
And then it'll be something about this friend visiting another friend at midnight. And if we're not careful, our brain naturally kind of breaks what we've read. And so it kind of compartmentalizes it. So, okay, this is the Lord's Prayer, and now we're moving on to something else. But what you realize, though, when you read them together, is that all along Jesus is now going into an example of how then the Lord's Prayer is lived out. He gives us a visible manifestation of what this prayer looks like when lived out. And he says it like this in verse 5. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing left to set before him. First observation is, is this friend going to the other friend's house at midnight? is in a humble posture. He's in need. He's in need of something very specific, loaves of bread. The Lord's Prayer just told us that we are to ask for such things on a daily basis, right? Give us this day our daily bread. And so here now Jesus continues his teaching to his disciples as to what it then looks like to be persistent in our prayers. And then he says, And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Here's here's how this works. Um, Culturally, the person that would have been listening to Jesus' words here, um, he would have been on on the side of the friend who stayed in bed. So like culturally, this friend going to the other friend's house at midnight and asking for bread was breaking all of the cultural norms within that society regarding hospitality. So the listener of this story would have been like, yeah, that friend's, yeah, I wouldn't have gone to the door either. But watch what Jesus does. I tell you in verse 8, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Impudence. What is that? This is the only example of this Greek word in the entire New Testament. It means to lack sensitivity to what is proper having a carelessness about the good opinion of others. It also means shamelessness. This scene breaks all of the cultural traditions of that day, and let's not forget Jesus is teaching us how to pray with impudence. He's teaching his disciples that when you pray, this is the posture that you can have towards me. Just like this friend going to the other friend's house at midnight, this is how you can pray. This is how you can speak to me. Here's what we have to do, though. We have to wrestle with this. I can relate to this friend staying in bed. We don't answer our door like at 12 in the afternoon, (laughs) let alone 12 midnight. And I have all these rings, so I know when you're at my door, right? Right? Maybe if it's Amazon, I might answer it. If it's a book that I've been waiting for, right? But I'm not answering the door. So I get this. But what I don't want us to miss, though, because remember, humility says, this is who God is in light of who I am. If God is willing to accept impudence as it relates to prayer, but just because I'm not doesn't mean that's how God is. 
It is not fair to bring upon God your same receptiveness to various words or the meaning of words. So if it is not culturally acceptable, and so you do not want to be culturally unacceptable or lack hospitality, and yet Jesus is telling us to, see, God gets to define the terms as he so wants. It does not have to mean the same exact thing for me as it means to God. And that's often where the breakdown, I think, occurs. We think to ourselves, I would never want to be bothered, and so why would I ever want to bother God? And I think Jesus' response is, is saying, I don't, this isn't about you. You're not praying to yourself. You're not praying to another human being. You're praying to God himself. And if God is willing to accept these things, then I want you to pray this way. The one thing that is, I think, amazing about this whole story is that Jesus never rebukes his friend in need. Instead, the only character that undergoes any kind of change is the friend lying in bed because Jesus says that if this friend is able to get what he needs from that guy, how much more will you receive from the Father? I think ultimately what Jesus is saying He's saying you need a better excuse or a reason to stop praying than just simply that it isn't the Christian thing to do. Jesus is saying, I want you to be impudent in your prayers. Then we skip a few chapters and we get to Luke 18. When we get to Luke 18, um, we have another story about prayer. And, a number, and another humble character in the biblical scene. And in this one, what unites these two passages is the word bother. See, this one friend went to the other friend's house at midnight to bother them. And in this case, there is a widow who keeps bothering this judge. It's the same Greek word. And it forms this kind of this attachment, tying these together, especially when the subject matter in both cases is prayer. And in both cases, it's persistency in prayer. In our first story, it was this persistent need and desire and asking for bread. And here we'll see a different scenario as it relates to persistency. So this one starts off in 18.1, and it says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Sometimes we give up on praying because we've lost heart, right? We've lost confidence. We've thought that we've broken these cultural norms, that we've been praying for the wrong thing too much, too often, right? And so Jesus, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. This is someone we would say is not humble. And in verse 3 it says, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Um, in, in culture and society, the two most vulnerable human beings uh, were orphans and widows. These are the most humble people within society. And this widow is asking for justice against her adversary. 
We don't know exactly who and what this justice is. Um, It has led some commentators to think that it is likely uh, that this widow uh, has lost her husband. And as a result of this, um, what you would have agreed upon in marriage were certain terms in the case of a divorce. You would have agreed to certain terms so that in the case of death, you would, you would receive this as a way to um, help them uh, thrive, right? During this time in which they are without their spouse. And so it has led then some commentators to think that likely this adversary with which this widow is in um, conflict with is probably a family member probably withholding what is rightfully hers, which is able to help her uh, sustain life. And so here, there's a widow in a city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary for a while, Jesus says. He refused. But afterwards, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, bothering, right? I think one of the reasons why we've given up on praying for some things in our life is because we think for a moment we're bothering God. And we have experienced being bothered ourselves. Fair enough, right? This morning as Lolly was getting all of the kids ready uh, and I'm trying to get out the door, Carson got up and was just so clearly from his crib, Mama? Mama? Right? I mean, it must have been 15, 20 times, right? Not to bother, of course, but just, right? But there's this constant, this repetitious, right? Mama? Mama? Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, see, just because we're bothered doesn't mean that God's bothered. It's not fair. What we're doing in that moment is we're putting our feelings of botherment, if that's even a word, right? We're putting our feelings of botherment and then we're projecting it on God and saying, then God feels the same way towards me. Surely he's bothered like I am bothered. But is that fair? Is that a humble place to stand before God and to say, this is who God is in light of who I am? Here he's saying, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, what does bother mean? Remember, what are we talking about? Prayer. That we ought always to pray and never lose heart. Here's what prayer means. Uh, It has this idea that it causes things to happen. Mama? And in this case, our prayers... According to Jesus, they cause things to happen. It causes things to be brought about, you could say. Other times it's used as just in this causal way or just simply just to make happen. What this widow has done, she's caused justice. She receives justice against her adversary, And even this judge tells us that it's not because I respect man nor fear God, but it's because she keeps bothering me. I will give her justice against her adversary. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me in verse 5, it says, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. This is graphic language and I love it. 
by her continual coming in verse 5. This word beat literally means to blacken an eye, to give a black eye or to strike in the face. And so this is how this judge feels, these persistent requests over and over and over again. They're like one blow right after the other, right below the eye. Figuratively, it could mean to bring someone in submission by constant annoyance and wearing down, leading this judge to say this so that she might finally stop, right, coming at me and blackening my eye. But remember, this prayer, I'm sorry, this parable is about a prayer, continual, always praying. Prayer here is, as described by Jesus, is bringing the judge into submission. This would be a great moment then for Jesus to circle back around and to say, okay, let's tame down these prayer requests. I don't want to be, right, beaten below the eye here. But instead, what you see is Jesus welcomes. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And then he says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? If you aren't praying for something because you don't want to bother God, I'm afraid we have to think of a different excuse. God is welcoming us to pray in such a way uh, which breaks the cultural norms of the day. He's also inviting us to pray in a bothersome, persistent way, even using graphic language as though beating somebody. Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. I'm uncomfortable with this idea. Where do we go? Back just a couple here, where he says something to the effect of, so you're telling me that by bothering God, I can cause something to happen. This sounds scary, Kyle. I'm not sure this is a good thing. Here's where I want to go next, though. When we trust who God is in light of who we are, change will occur. But what we know to be true about God is that God never changes. He can't. It's his attribute. So do you know who changes as a result of these persistent, bothersome, impudent prayers? We do. We do. But here's my fear. If you've given up, we've then missed out on an opportunity to change. We've missed out on an opportunity whereby God can graciously bring about a change even in the very language we use to talk to God as it relates to something that we so desperately need or want or desire. Which then leads us to our final our final passage in Jeremiah 18. I have to say this up front, though. Um, this passage has nothing to do with prayer. Absolutely nothing. So to do it justice, I'm going to read and just put it in its context first, and then we'll circle back around, and then I want to read it prayerfully, and we'll see what we see. So here, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Verse 2, arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. 
And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. Stop. When you, I've never made a thing in my life with clay, so I'm going to sound like, right? But you can envision this, right? When you make something out of clay, right? It's, there's a, is it just one spin of the wheel and then it's like, voila, the vessel, right? There's a continual over and over and over again spinning of this wheel resulting in some kind of a vessel, So when the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and then it says, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the clay. Nope. To the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel. This is why it has nothing to do with prayer. Watch. Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, Like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and then this beautiful if, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. So what God is saying is, is I can refashion this for honorable use. If they return to me, remember back to 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then in verse 9, and if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, this is not a good if. And if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent from the good that I have done to do to it. So this is saying that he can refashion it also for a vessel of destruction as well. So it serves as a warning. Jeremiah 18, he's warning Israel, right? Obey the Lord, seek the Lord, and as a result of it, this unworkable lump of clay, I will, I will turn it into just the right vessel to receive my blessing at its appropriate time. But I want to reread this, though. But I want to reread it in light of prayer. Uh, repetitive prayer. Here's one thing that happened. So I told you the end of the story in that sweet moment with this gal that prayed for the resurrection of this dead thing, right? Um, but at the beginning, Lolly and I were at the time living in uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, I was attending DTS and she was my sugar mama. We didn't have kids. And, um, and it was just a sweet season of life, but yet all this stuff was going on back home. And, um, and when you're not there, there's a helpless feeling when you want to be there, but you can't. And so what are you left to do in those moments? Um, you pray. You just, you start praying. You pray a lot. And in this case, um, I thought I had kind of a slam dunk. I mean, like, we've got verses that says God, hate divor- God hates divorce, right? And you're, like, praying for divorce not to happen. You're like, like, we got this. I'm in. Like, this, this will be good, right? So you're praying over and over and over again and, and really nothing. And then over and over and over again, and now it's looking even more bleak and more dire. Um, and then it was this really sweet moment with the Lord. As I was praying repetitively for this not to occur, um, something happened. Um, within my heart one day, I remember distinctly that the Lord was like, what about comfort? What about comfort, Kyle? What if I comforted you right now? Would that be enough? Would you be okay with that? 
And I remember thinking, yes, yes, Lord, this would be wonderful. And so I began to pray for comfort in the midst of this, this dramatic thing occurring. And I can't describe to you, this is where it gets undescribable, the comfort which then proceeded. And after that prayer for comfort, um, then it began, oh Lord, would you comfort Lolly in the midst of this? Right? Would you comfort my brother? Would you comfort right, our friends? Would you comfort our family? Like, and then it began, became this great prayer of comfort in the midst of something so um, sad. And God answered in profound ways. Now, does that mean that I no longer cared about the initial prayer request? No. No. But I've often wondered back to Jeremiah 18. I really think that I arrived at a prayer for comfort because of my continual spinning at the wheel in the hands of the potter, who then eventually, because he's the potter and he's good, he refashioned me into a different vessel, different than I had originally thought the vessel would be, different than I had originally wanted the vessel to be, but a vessel nevertheless, and a vessel which provided in profound ways for me and my family both spiritually and relationally. And so I've often thought back, I wonder if I would have ever gotten to the prayer for comfort if I wasn't continually praying for the divorce not to happen. This is where it becomes mysterious. I don't know. But I can't help but think, and I can't help but think back to Jesus and these examples that he gives us in the Gospel of Luke in which he's asking us, oh, would you pray? Pray a lot. Pray a lot for a lot of different things, but pray a lot for one thing. And with each prayer, each utterance of it, it's just one more rep around the wheel. And then we trust that God is who he is in light of who we are, and then we become this vessel at God's appointed time to receive his answer when he's ready. When he's ready. So here's what I want to do with what time we have remaining. Um, just like we did last week, just for this year, just, for, just to remove distractions, um, let's bow our heads. I want you to close your eyes. Our excuse that we don't want to annoy and bother God with our prayer requests isn't a good enough reason to not pray our excuse that praying over and over again for the same thing isn't the proper or Christianly thing to do isn't a good enough reason not to pray. Humble people pray for a lot of different things, but they also pray a lot for one thing. And who knows, maybe in the process of praying so much for one thing, you will end up discovering what you really needed all along. Here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for you to sit with the Lord. And I get it, you're sitting right now. But I mean sit here in a spiritual sense. I'd like for you to sit with the Lord and listen and see what prayers in your life need to come back to life or what prayers need to begin anew that you've been holding back because you didn't want to bother God. Think about these things. And when you're ready, it's a simple prayer. Lord, 
I think it's time to start praying about. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.